Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, and along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, uh, who is a professor at, at FIT and Syracuse University. We welcome you to our conversation on the topic of CEO tenure counts in turnarounds. Uh, and not even with just turnarounds, but their tenure counts, and we'll get into that. Uh, with the exception, by the way, of a few outliers like Best Buy and, and Bed Bath and & Beyond, uh, many uh, once great brands that hit a wall started a revolving door of one CEO after another being hired to boldly and quickly uh, turn the business around. And in most cases, it did not work. N not a lot has been done on this issue. Um, I don't know, except for maybe search firms, but not too much is out there or, or really discussed. So we took a deep dive on a long list of retailers and how the tenure of their CEOs correlated uh, with the continuing failure of the brands that they were trying to turn around. Obviously, there are many variables uh, resulting in failed turnarounds, like poor leadership in general, misguided strategy, uh, lack of capital, or maybe stuck in the past cultures, and there are uh, others as well. But it's kind of revealing that across a major portion of the retail industry, our analysis found a consistency of repeated failures among those whose CEOs had only a short period of time in their role. I guess you could um, call it <laughs> the big churn of CEOs. As I said, there were a few exceptions like uh, Bed Bath & Beyond and Best Buy and a couple of others, which we will get to. So Shelley, why don't you kick this off with uh, kind of the process we went through to, to arrive at our conclusions. Well, Robin, you and I have been discussing this for years, but in the aftermath of the pandemic, the light really shined on some retailers while others were left standing under a rain cloud. So in the analysis, we put some parameters together, including looking at mostly retailers versus brands or wholesalers. We also focused on brick and mortar stores who may have a digital business, but that business is not a substantial revenue contribute, contributor to the overall top line. And of course, we analyzed most public companies. We also looked at the various industry segments and compared companies to how that segment performed. We focused on financial strength in terms of return on assets, net profit, asset turnover, and inventory turnover. So in essence, we wanted to best understand how effective management was at using the assets of the business to generate profits, or in the case of last year, minimize loss. For some of the deep dives that we'll get into later, we also ran a 10-year assessment of the retailer. Yeah, you know, as I said, there's not been much uh, analysis on CEO tenure as it correlates to success or failure. And I think looking at it through the uh, prism of particularly how assets were managed, reveals a lot about leadership. But, it, but I also want to emphasize, Shelley, that while the pandemic shined a light on leaders under a rain cloud, as, as you put it, 
that's all it did, okay? These companies were failing uh, before the pandemic. So our listeners should keep that in mind as we go through the analysis. The pandemic was only an accelerant. Um, so Shelley, let's, let's start with two very big positives on leadership and where tenure did matter, uh, Walmart and Target. Well, Robin, I love starting with the highlights. Um, of course, we have Brian Cornell and Doug McMillan who have been serving their respective companies for six and seven years. Uh, and admittedly, you know, the essential discount store sector was favorably impacted by the pandemic as consumers stocked up on household goods and groceries. Um, but the leadership and vision of both CEOs prior to the pandemic is what really helped to transform both companies to a performance that beat both companies' history. So Walmart increased over $35 billion last year, up 6.7%. Yeah. Amazing. Grew 79%. The return on assets was over 8 for Walmart and the net margin 3.6%. That was in a pandemic year. Then you have Target, which has completely transformed its business and continues to do so constantly in front of the consumer and now leading the digital strategy, something they didn't have before Brian took the reins six years ago. I actually think Target grew two decades in the last six years from a technological perspective. Target grew 15 billion last year which was more than it grew in total sales over the past 11 years. Wow. <laughs> Return on assets is over eight and net profit margin is 4.3%. And Robin, the only real difference between uh, the two in terms of you know all this financial analysis is inventory turn. Walmart has eight on inventory turn and Target is five. But of course, Walmart has a larger grocery presence and Target was more heavily impacted by the drop in apparel. Yeah, the grocery thing is a big deal because obviously consumers visit uh, those stores more often who, you know, the grocery stores. Yeah, an incredible performance for both, Shelley. But again, it's important to remind ourselves that these two giants were deemed essential in the pandemic. So it is a no-brainer for them to have stolen huge chunks of market share from the rest of the closed-down non-essentials. However, again, pandemic aside, Walmart and Target were hitting the, the ball out of the park uh, before COVID. And talk about leadership. Both McMillan and Cornell, uh, I've done several articles on both, and it's interesting to note that Cornell took the helm of a real mess at Target. It was totally a turnaround challenge for him. McMillan, on the other hand, had a different situation. He had to shift the entire Walmart enterprise into a completely new model for the 21st century. And perhaps the biggest part of doing that was embracing and embedding technology throughout their ecosystem. And the $3 billion acquisition of Jet.com really became the accelerant in that move. So, uh, Shelley, how about some of the non-essential sectors? Well, I guess we should start by discussing department stores, which, I mean, quite frankly, they've been struggling even before the pandemic. Unbelievably, so you're right. 
right. the poor department story. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, last year the segment dropped 18%. Uh, and but coming out of 2019 into the pandemic year, they were already down 5%. The department stores haven't had a revenue increase year over year in the past 15 years. Um, and they're heavily reliant on apparel, uh, which did not help going into 2020 with apparel dropping 27% overall as a segment. So interestingly, there are three major department stores, all with kind of a different brand strategy. And while all have struggled, there is some light at the end of the tunnel. So you have Macy's CEO, Jeff Gannett, who's been there for four years. And his arrival to the top seat was well-planned succession. I mean, Jeff has been with Macy's for almost 40 years. And so throughout his whole career, he's been quote unquote, groomed to take the helm from Terry Lundgren. Well, all that is planned goes well, right, Robin? Hmm. <laughs> Macy's net profit fell sharply in 2020. Uh, ROA is a number, quite frankly, I have not seen in the department store sector at a negative uh, 18. So, uh, but let's look at uh, Cole's Michelle Gass, who fared better in terms of financial performance coming out of 2020 with a return on assets of negative 1.5 and net margins slightly under 1%. Inventory turns sitting at 2.5, which is higher than Macy's, but less than Nordstrom's. We'll talk about Nordstrom's in a second. Um, Michelle was also a succession plan placement and has been CEO for two years. Remember, Robin, she came from P&G and she had a really good run at Starbucks. I mean, she's the reason why Frappuccino is a household name. And she was hired at Kohl's five years before she took the CEO position as chief customer officer. So let's talk about Nordstrom's for a second. Nordstrom's net margin was down 4.5%. Return on assets was minus five compared to the segment of department stores at minus seven. Um, and the inventory turn is 3.7, which is good for department store land. When I look back though, on the return on assets over the past five years, it ranges between 5.5 and seven. So I don't really have any major concerns here. Yeah, I don't either. In a second, I'll talk. So yeah, there, there has to be some caveats though here, Shelley. These may be good examples of our thesis, but I think Macy's and Kohl's uh, need more runway, okay, to determine if they succeed or fail. Since all three of, of, of these brands were, were well-planned successions, they were not parachuted in out of the blue. So in the case of Macy's, one could argue that Jeff was challenged from day one, okay, to put it on a re-energized growth trajectory. And maybe he just needed more than his first four years. And then of course he was blindsided by the pandemic. So, so my mental jury is uh, still out on, uh, on Macy's. And don't forget by the way, the pandemic non-essential bomb and huge apparel exposure of Macy's. At Kohl's, I think Michelle also did not inherit a booming business, okay? However, under her brief watch, I do believe she has strategically repositioned the business for solid growth. So again, 
the pandemic non-essential and heavily into apparel pox was upon her too. I, I think she just needs more time. And of course, Nordstrom, uh, the poster child of consumer first and service beyond expectations. Uh, we ran my article yesterday on them. Uh, Nordstrom moves closer to you. And I urge uh, all of you to read it. And then you will understand why I say, bad recent numbers aside, Nordstrom, in my opinion, will prevail. So, you know, Nordstrom, as you all know, is a family-run business uh, for the most part. And, of course, Eric Nordstrom uh, took the helm as CEO a year ago. So succession planning there, although obvious, is both Eric and Pete have worked in the business their whole life. So while some financial ratios may scare some analysts, I can say that the company has been very focused on a very unique value proposition. So Shelly, I don't know, speaking of apparel disaster, what's, what's your take on that sector of retailing? Well, Robin, uh, we could probably spend the next four days talking about it, uh, but we won't. Um, the apparel segment, including accessories and shoes, of course, was one of the most negatively impacted categories from the pandemic, down 27%. As I look across some of the better performances, many CEOs have been in position over five years. So let's start with the highlights again. So Zoomies, uh, Richard Brooks has been there 20 years and delivered a return on assets of 7.6 with a net profit margin of 7.2%. G3 Apparel, Morris Goldfarb has been there 47 years. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and yeah. Has, a, has a return on assets of over one and a net profit margin of 3%. And their inventory turn is five, where the industry average is 3.9. You also have TJ Maxx, Ernie Herman, who's been there five years, return on assets 2.7, net profit margin 2.3%. And of course, Ross, Barbara Rentler, who's been there six years as CEO, came out with an ROA of 2.8 and a net profit of 2.4%. So those are all, you know, highlights of really strong performing CEOs who's been in positions uh, for many years. Then we kind of had this second group of highly tenured CEOs delivering not so great results, but have continued to deliver year over year positive results. So I'm not worried at all about these retailers. So Children's Place, Jane Elfer, she's been there 11 years. Richard Hain at Urban Outfitters, been there nine years, and Jay Schottenstein at 29 years with American Eagle Outfitters. All financially challenged, but looking at past behavior as an indicator of future performance, these CEOs will come out of 2021 in a profitable position. So the ROA for Children's Place has been over six to over 12 in the past four years. Net profit margin as a positive for the past 10 years. American Eagle Outfitters return on assets has ranged between seven and 14 over the past few years. Again, net profit margin has been positive for the past 10 years. And ROA for Urban Outfitters performed better than the apparel sector and inventory turn for Urban Outfitters, which uh, is five is very good for apparel retail. Over the past few years, the return on assets for urban has ranged from six to over 14. 
and of course, positive net margins for the past 10 years. So let's talk for a second about some of the retailers that have struggled in this segment, including Asina with a return on assets in the negative 40s, net profit margin down 23%, and a CEO that has been in position for two years to help turn the business around. You know, the return on assets has been negative for the past four years and net margin has been in the red since 2015. And then you had The Gap, who's had so many CEOs that have come and gone. And then the company owners, the Fisher family, steps in and out of the business to help run the business during interim CEOs. This revolving door of CEOs and structural changes has been a challenge. And results of this are evident in the financials. Net profit margins down 7.7%. Their return on assets is a negative 7.6. Inventory turn is 3.4. I think Sonia will be great for the brand, but can she deliver for the gap what she was able to do for Old Navy where she was CEO for four years? And of course, lastly, you know, Jay, who's been through three or four CEOs, recently filed from bankruptcy, emerged from bankruptcy, appointed a new CEO in November of 2020. And brand, quite frankly, coming into 2020, so coming out of 2019, was really Kane Madewell, which had a 14% revenue increase compared to J. Crew at minus four. So the 2020 numbers have not been released from J. Crew yet, but the financial performance over the past few years has been a challenge. The net profit, or I should say the net loss, has been a loss for the past five years. Yeah, you know, both, <laughs> I've beaten up on both the Gap and J. Crew in many articles. So, okay, Shelly, your first tier, okay, or the winning group with the long tenured CEOs, your analysis uh, was spot on. And so there's really no need to add to it. Uh, and the same with the third losing group, revolving CEO doors indeed, especially the gap. So I was just talking about what a mess for decades. And I say good luck to their new leader. She's going to need it big time. I've, I've said I think what it comes down to the gap is I think that they have a huge brand problem. It is stale, it is old, and I think it's over. And also, uh, no one could argue with your comments about uh, these CEOs, the long tenure, and doing a great job. I do want to call out Jane Elfers at uh, Children's Place. Uh, you talk about inheriting a mess. Children's Place was near collapse. And in five grinding years, she turned it around brilliantly. This is a great example of leadership and strategic thinking and doing, by the way. So what about this um, category killer segment, Shelley? Well, I think one of the best turnaround stories out there is Best Buy. Uh, remember, Robin, in 2012, Best Buy was heading down the same fate as Circuit City with the onslaught of Amazon and discounters invading the electronic space. So, Shelly, you have to stop you here. Uh, uh, Best Buy, in fact, were being squeezed to death, actually. Amazon on one side and Walmart on the other. Uh, Hubert Jolie came in and within five years was able to turn around the business to a point where, with the initiative he, he put in place, landed the company in 
a prime position coming into the pandemic and then handed over to, um, he handed over to Corey Berry, who by the way, the company first, it's the first woman CEO for that company, a business model for success. He, he did, she did inherit that. Uh, and I, by the way, one of the key turnaround strategies was to invite every major tech brand to set up shop within the Best Buy big box and to run their own businesses. By doing that, consumers benefit from these brands' expertise. And unlike Amazon, they can educate and advise their customers one-on-one -on -one right there in the store. What's amazing, Robin, is that the Best Buy return on assets is over nine, the net profit margin almost 4% in a category that runs on a 23% gross margin. Let's talk about Dick Sporting Goods, who's had the same leadership for 37 years, and they just recently promoted Lauren Hobart to the CEO position last month. She's been with Dick's for 10 years. So another example of planned succession. But again, with Ed Stack running the business for 37 years, the return on assets above four, net profit over 4%, and positive revenue growth and net income for the past 10 years. It came out of 2020 up 9.5% with 30% of its revenue coming from online. And a fun fact is that um, Dick Stack was 18 when he founded the company and his, his huh. children, his children, including Ed Stack, bought the company from their dad. Foot Locker CEO Dick Johnson, who's been there six years, is another great success story. Return on assets is almost five. Net profits are 5.2%. Return on assets for the past four years has ranged from between seven and over 17. Net profit margins have been positive. Coming out of 2020, revenue dropped, but the company was able to see positive net profits. And then lastly, Bed Bath & Beyond may be the turnaround story of this decade. Mark Trenton in the job about a year. Uh, financials don't support any positive reporting. ROA is a negative three. Net profits are showing a loss of 1.3. However, it's really starting to gain traction with some positive results. So in Q3 of 2020, that was their last financial reporting. Revenue was actually up 2%. Digital revenue up 77%. And I think one of the most positive financial numbers is coming out of uh, quarter three in 2020, they were able to show a 244 million positive cash flow compared to 2019, a non-pandemic year where they had a loss of 62 million in cash flow. So I know it's only one quarter, but there's a positive aura for the company. And the last two full years have shown losses but Mark has cleaned out the C-suite and he is focused on a mission to turn around the company. And as you know, Robin, Mark was chief merchant at Target before joining Bed Bath & Beyond. Yeah, and he's, he's brand new pretty much and he's inherited a mess there as well. Uh, but yes, given the early news about what he is doing, as you said, cleaning house, 
<laughs> a metaphor for getting rid of the stuck in the past C-suite. So given his track record at Target, I think he will succeed. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So as I opened uh, this session with the comment that obviously there are many variables resulting in failed turnarounds, poor leadership in general, misguided strategy, lack of capital, stuck in the past cultures, and on and on. But as you so well laid out, Shelley, <clears throat> across a major portion of the retail industry, there is a consistency of repeated failures among those whose CEOs had only a short period of time in their role. So I guess that wraps it up. Thank you for all our listeners. You can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And of course, you will find more of our provocative insights on therobinreport.com. And as I've said before, if any of you out there have a topic that you've been noodling over and would love us to cover, please send me an email, robin at therobinreport.com. And thanks once again for joining us. 